Football on Off the Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. Now you're very welcome back. So we're turning our attention to a report which is certainly making headlines in the US and beyond as well. And this report details systematic verbal and sexual abuse in the National Women's Soccer League. And the report also admonishes leaders of the US Soccer Federation and the league as well for a flagrant failure to act when faced with reports of abuse by players and that failure to act uh, stretches across a period of years. The report was commissioned by US Soccer and this all comes on the back of protests. You might remember last October there were players of uh, various teams gathered together arm in arm around centre circles during games to highlight their frustrations with the uh, culture. Very happy to say uh, Jeff Carlisle is a soccer reporter with ESPN. He joins us on the line now. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. So Sally Q. Yates, uh, former US Deputy Attorney General, tasked with compiling this report. And I presume you might just give us the, the backdrop for a moment. I presume those protests that we saw last October, the players around the centre circle in games, that prompted this uh, report commissioned by US soccer? It did indeed. Yeah, it was about a year ago, almost to the day that um, the the revelations about uh, a coach with the with the Portland Thorns, uh, later with the North Carolina Courage, you know, he was accused by some players of uh, engaging in you know sexual harassment, sexual coercion, and that was that was really the first bombshell report to drop. And there's there's been a steady drumbeat of reports ever since. Um, you know, I think five of the ten coaches in the league, you know, have since been dismissed for uh, abuse and and for wrongdoing. And you know, there was, you know, it happened in Washington D.C. It happened in Chicago, um, and uh, it happened in Seattle as well. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just been kind of one gut punch after another to to the women's game in this country. And so. To the credit of U.S. Soccer, uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation, they they immediately engaged Sally Yates, who was a, a former uh, acting attorney general of the United States. Um, she brings a lot of integrity, a lot of credibility to the process. And so I think uh, the Federation did the right thing by by bringing her on board and, and her law firm. And so this this report has been a year in the making. And uh, it was it was really you know, some of the information, a, a good chunk of the information was already known, but there were certainly more details uh, that were revealed, uh, not only about the coaches who had already been disgraced, but um, also a, an additional coach in Louisville who uh, had been fired. Everyone knew what, you know, everyone knew that he'd been fired, but didn't really know the particulars, didn't know the circumstances of why. And, mm. you know, he was this person, this individual was found to have engaged in, uh, you know, sexual misconduct as well. So uh, and then just the the extent to which some of the clubs did not cooperate with the investigation, that was surprising as well, because th- there's been a lot of lip service paid by clubs throughout the league that, yes, we're, you know, we're going to cooperate. We're going to we want to get to the bottom of this. And 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 there were three clubs in particular that really uh acted against the investigators tried in some cases tried to impede the investigation so you know a lot of 
a lot of surprising detail came out of this, and um, now it's you know it remains to be seen what changes will be made. Uh, I think the onus is on the league uh, to really try to rid itself of some of these bad actors. I mean, obviously, a lot of the coaches have been fired, but there are still owners and and, and team executives who engaged in uh, certainly covering up you know some of the allegations and uh, providing positive job references in some cases. Um, so that these coaches these who should have been out of the game were allowed to move on to other jobs. So an incredible amount of detail. And um, yeah, now it remains to be seen what changes are going to be instituted both at the Federation and the league level going forward. Jeff, I haven't had the time to read the report in full. I've read sections of it and, and media reporting of it. And the, the three coaches who are very much case studied in this uh, report are named in the report and have been named at large across uh, media, certainly in the States. For legal reasons, we're not uh, naming those coaches in this segment, but certainly they're high profile and and, and well known in the game. As for the nature of the accusations, and again, if anybody listening has uh, children in the car or if this is a triggering conversation, then I'm going to go into some, not uh, graphic and not for long, but some uh, detail now. So it might be a good time to switch over for a couple of minutes. The nature of the accusations, uh, certainly it seems across the board, Jeff, there is a talk amongst the the players to uh, Sally Q. Yates of just a very sexualized environment as a, as a minimum in, in general discourse, the language used to the players, the topics of discussion between coaches and players is obviously inappropriate. And then... That ranges right up to the very, very serious players invited to watch a film of a match with the coach and shown pornography instead. And the coach masturbated in front of that player. Another instance where there's analysis being done, video analysis, and uh, the uh, player in this one on one situation was groped or gentles whenever the film showed that player making a mistake and clearly um, a deeply, deeply troubling kind of uh, situation. Uh, nude players nude pictures sent to players by the coach of himself and requesting similar ones back and players feeling, um, or one player certainly said, felt forced into sending the pictures of herself back. And uh, another coach leveraged his position to coerce at least three players into sexual relationships. These are some of the the headline anecdotal evidence. Yeah, I mean, all of this is is, is horrific. Um, you know, certainly the, the film session accusation that was new um again nobody knew why this individual got fired um but you know it was it it, you know everyone you know certainly a lot of uh of media and a lot of fans have read these reports over the last year and at a certain point you think you might become anesthetized to it but you know, reading some of the new revelations, I mean, it's a it's a gut punch. It's just horrific every single time. And it really speaks to the power imbalance that has existed between coaches and players. Um, you know, for, you know, the, this is the third women's league in the United States since the start of, you know, since 2000 that has, has been organized. And the previous two obviously went under due to financial reasons. And so there's a real you know, atmosphere of, and a real fear of, you know, don't speak out against the league, don't say or do anything publicly that's going to put the league in a bad light. And I think that really, um, that really created a power imbalance, you know, with these coaches where 
they could make or break a career. And so, you know, some of these coaches obviously felt enabled to engage in this kind of behavior because they knew that there wouldn't be any repercussions or they at least they felt there wouldn't be any repercussions. I mean, certainly some of them are are, are facing some consequences now, but it was a real consequence-free zone for, for many, many years. And so, you know, I think in terms of correcting that, the the players union now has a has a collective bargaining agreement with the league so that there are a lot more processes in place to report this kind of uh you know awful behavior um but it, there's still you know there's still a lot of work to be done and there there are reporting neck mechanisms that need to be put in place because too often the, these accusations were brought to people's attention and whether it was at the federation level or the league level or the club level uh these officials turned a blind eye and so uh, it's going to be interesting going forward to see what kind of uh, accountability there's going to be for these individuals. I mean, obviously the, the coaches are gone, some of the, the federation officials are gone, but again, there 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 are still there are still owners and and executives who are that are still in the league, and it's it's going to be interesting to see what accountability looks like for them. Mm-hmm. You know, will they be forced to sell their teams? You know, will they lose their jobs? Um, you know, that remains to be seen. And, and there is a companion investigation that's being conducted by the league and the players union. I'm told that the, the results of that are going to come out in a month or so. So, uh, you know, we'll see if that investigation sheds any new light. But I, I think most of all, it's going to provide some detail in terms of, you know, how the individuals who, who turned a blind eye to this are going to be disciplined. You touched on something which is, is is worth just teasing out for a moment, because certainly um, over here we look upon the American League as the best in the world, the highest standard, and for you know there there is Megan Rapino and Alex Morgan and these these kind of global stars. But uh, the reality is that uh, this league is full of uh, less heralded players earning meagre wages at times and. Uh, you mentioned there that it's in a precarious financial state in some ways. So it seems for a lot of the players, there was a fear of doing anything which might uh, disrupt their chance of, of playing pro soccer, of getting to have a pro career. Like, do we, we, we don't want to bring down this league uh, by, by speaking out and, and it being torn apart at the seams. And, and so the phrase open secret was used quite a few times in this report, Jeff, a number of the chapters across the various case studies. Certainly one of them is called open secret. That phrase was used by a lot of the players. Yeah, it was. And um, part of that was because, you know, they would make these complaints and and then nothing would ever happen. And of course, players talk and agents talk and, uh, you know, word gets around. But you know, there, there again, there was never any accountability, you know, or for too many years, there was no accountability for these coaches. And um, all the while, you know, these players are, are trying to forge careers. They're, tr- you know, they're trying to enjoy being professional players and, and playing the game that they love. And um, and yet their fate was was in the hands of these coaches who often, you know, doubled as sporting directors and we're making decisions about not only who played, but at the end of the season, who stayed and who went. Um, so you had a lot of power kind of concentrated in in one individual within an organization in terms of players. And so these players you know, were put in a position where they felt like they had to 
they had to toe the line. They had to do what the coach said. Um, even if it meant, you know, you know, being forced to engage in just abhorrent behavior on the, on, on the part of the coach. So, uh, you know, again, it was, it, it was just an untenable situation. And, um, certainly the, the dam burst about a year ago, but there, again, there's been a, a steady progression of stories, uh, just, you know, highlighting how these coaches, uh, behaved and, and just the, the horrible things that they did. And, um, again, I, I think having the union in place will help having these reports out there will help, but keep in mind the NWSL is run by its owners. And so the, the onus is really going to be on them to institute meaningful reform at the league level. And do they have the, the wherewithal and, and the will to, for some of these other owners to sell who have been found to to have aided and abetted this kind of abuse. Yeah, I mean, on the NWSL and the, the owners, I mean, you mentioned one of the uh, instances. And again, we're just talking about three case studies here. And so I think we can deduce a wider prevalence. But uh, one team conducted an investigation. You mentioned this uh, story at the outset, an investigation that lasted one week. The accused coach was promptly fired. That team didn't inform their players or other teams or the public about the reason for that coach's termination. And he was later hired by another team in the league. So uh, the failure at the top level is every bit as egregious as what was going on uh, at ground level. And uh, one wonders how those NWSL owners, uh, well, I mean, are they criminally Negligent, I suspect, is a question which will be asked very soon, but how they can uh, claim to have the faith of anybody right now? Well, some of them definitely not. Um, you know, but there there is kind of a new generation of owners that has come on board in the last year. Um, I'm thinking of uh, Alexis Ohanian with Angel City FC. I'm thinking of Chris and Angie Long uh, in Kansas City. And the Longs have invested... $135 million in building a new stadium and a new training facility for their team. And these are business people. <laughs> these are not, they're not doing this out of a sense of uh, charity or this is a social cause. I mean, they, they, they're in it to make money. And so I, I, I suspect, um, I mean, and time will tell with this, that they're not going to stand idly by and watch their investment be ruined uh based on the actions of a, of a couple owners who uh didn't seem to see anything wrong with 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 having abusive coaches in their midst um so you know i think that's where the real tug of war is, is going to take place within the nwsl it's going to be at ownership level and do enough of these new owners um you know are, are they really going to hold some of these older owners are they going to hold their feet to the fire and say you got to go um, certainly there's a lot of compelling evidence to say that they should, but we've seen in other American sports, you know, just thinking about the NFL and, and Dan Snyder, who's the owner of the Washington Commanders, the, the bad behavior in that organization has been highlighted as well, and yet he's still around. So, again, it's going to be interesting to see just how much will there is within the, the league ownership to uh, get rid of some of these bad actors. 
The Red 78. Once we were back, we were back for a period That was of when the televisions were in black and white, Quinn. Yeah, that's but right. Was, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> big buttons and no remote. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Did Sally K. Yates explain why, or Q. Yates explain why the, the case study focused in on these three coaches? Was it just to establish that and, and prove a wider point? Or were there fewer allegations elsewhere? Were these the most egregious cases? Or, or, or why just those three particularly focused on, Jeff? Well, I think those were the three most egregious cases. And I think there was um, there was already a lot of reporting on two of them. Mm. So I think... You know, they found or they I think they hoped that by starting there that, you know, they would be able to dig deeper and and also a little wider. Um, and certainly that was the case with with the Louisville coach. Um, but, you know, there were there were other instances of of coaches being fired for, you know, a, you know verbally abusive behavior. But again, when when you when you cross the line of 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 uh sexual abuse i mean i think that uh, that obviously is just beyond the pale and and is something that just has to be addressed i mean certainly there there's you know i think the excuse that was used a lot of times well it's tough coaching you know when it comes to like verbal abuse mm. but um when it comes to, to you know potential crimes against individuals and and someone's body um i think that takes it to a whole nother level and i think that's why uh, Sally Yates chose to focus on those three cases. Okay, because she did, and again, I haven't read the full report, but she did have a chapter at one stage about just the um, uh, suspect basic working conditions for a lot of these players. Like I said, this league isn't flush with money necessarily, so she made the point in her report that there aren't minimum standards when it comes to facilities or, or housing where the players stay. And so in a lot of instances, there's no HR personnel available to the players and as you referenced as well the coach therefore almost takes on a disproportionate level of power uh, he is coach he is director of football he decides contracts he decides salary and so can almost uh, run riot as opposed to a, a better resourced environment absolutely um a lot of these clubs were run on the cheap um and there were not really minimum financial standards uh, established in terms of, you know, making sure that a that an owner or prospective owner had the requisite financial backing to really fund this operation. Um, you know, sometimes they provided housing. I know that in the case of Chicago, the owner owned apartment buildings and would have the players stay in those buildings. And you know, there 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 were varying degrees of of complaints about you know, the state of some of those apartments, you know, whether there was mold or whether there was, you know, leaky, you know, leaky pipes or, or what have you. So, um, again, there, there was, it was, it was started on a shoestring and it continued that way for, for many years. And I think that environment as well kind of contributed to what happened. Jeff, what's your sense of where this goes on a few fronts now? Does the Yates report prompt a full report into every single club Will uh, uh, this get legal for for certain individuals? We, we, I, one presumes a report like this uh, it tends to prompt further testimony, and others tend to come forward. 
You know, that's that's interesting. I mean, it's a good question because obviously uh, with the Portland and North Carolina coach, those details have been out for a year now. Um, and I have not heard of any kind of legal or criminal ramifications, uh, you know, for that particular individual. Um, these cases are very difficult to prove. Um, at least they have been historically. And so, you know, even with all the compelling evidence that there, that there's been offered by these players, um, yeah, again, I have not heard of any kind of criminal investigation that has taken place. Uh, you know, again, I, I point back to the other investigation that's going to come out conducted by the league and the players union. That's it's, it's a joint investigation. So, you know, I think the the next shoe to drop is is really what what are the findings of that and what are the recommendations of that, especially in terms of again of 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 sanctioning owners or you know forcing them to sell or you know or or you know firing executives etc. Um, the USSF is taking some measures to try to fix as much as they can on their end. Um, you know they they're gonna I think change the the coaching licensing requirements. I mean, it used to be kind of a diploma. Like once you got it, you had it for life. Now there's going to be, I think, a recertification process, uh, like a, a yearly or every other yearly uh, recertification. Um, I think there is a real movement afoot to have better vetting of these coaches because some of them, you know, in some cases, the 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 credentials of, of some of these coaches was was minuscule i mean one individual claimed that they had an a coaching license which i think is like the second highest license you can have from the ussf and it turned out he didn't i mean a lot of it just took place by word of mouth you know word of mouth recommendations and then the person would be hired so i, I think that's going to be tightened up but you know cindy parlo cone is the president of the u.s soccer federation she admitted that the, the federation is kind of limited in terms of what they can do i mean granted it's up to them to sanction the league or not. And when I say sanction, I mean, give them permission to operate. Um, hmm. But that, you know, holding back that sanction, I, I that's not really a practical suggestion. I mean, they don't want to kill the league. So, uh, and, and Parlo Cohn admitted that, you know, they have some influence, but they don't have any real power to to force some of these changes at the league um, or, or club level. So again, it's, it's you know, I, I keep coming back to, it's going to be down to the league to kind of clean house and, and put things in order. And we'll, we'll see the extent to which they have the will to do that. A final thought then. So I, I, I do appreciate that these allegations in the main are not new. And we did see the protest this time last year. But it, it does seem terribly incongruous that it'll just be business as usual. And let's see how the next round of fixtures go without some kind of protest on the players part or some kind of acknowledgement of what's happening happened here. Well, the, the the fans in Portland have already put out a statement this morning, uh, U.S. time, saying that they are kind of severing relationships or severing relations with the front office. Whether that turns into a full-blown boycott is still to be determined. Um, I mean, they're kind of caught in a bind as fans. I mean, they want to support the players who have taken the brunt of this abuse, um, but they're also reluctant to give money to an owner who who clearly doesn't get it. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, at, you know, in terms of the fans, you know, what they decide to do. Um, 
you know, I, I do keep coming back to the fact that there's a functioning players union now. I mean, for, you know, without a, a collective bargaining agreement, a lot of these processes in terms of uh, filing reports about abuse were not really codified at league level mm. or um, or at the union level. And now they are. So I think that's one change that's already taken place that I think will influence behavior in the future. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it, you know, there's, there's still a lot of unanswered questions about exactly what's going to happen down the road. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the players, you know, we'll, we'll see if they, they engage in some kind of, uh, some kind of protest. Um, and, you know, I, I think it was a year ago that they, all the players, you know, who were playing in a game stopped in the sixth minute and locked arms in the middle of the field. Mm. Um, and that was a really powerful protest, I thought. Um, but again, there have been so many incidents that have been reported now. I, I think there's a, a legitimate question of where does this all end? Um, you hope this is the last of it, but, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but in terms of what the players can do, it, it's unclear to me what, what else they can do that they haven't done already. Mm. Jeff Carlisle, a soccer reporter with ESPN. That's great, Jeff. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, guys. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch all the football you love including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky